Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Michael and Dulcevita Brock. Lewis Carr is a founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Waymaker Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Michael and Dulcevita are the co-founders of Dream Hustle Cold. Today, we'll be discussing the keys to parenting, raising well-balanced children, and more. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr, founder of Waymaker. And today on the Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have my good friends and co-founders of Dream Hustle Cold, Michael Brock and Dulce Vita Brock, uh, to talk about parenting. Welcome, the Brocks. Thank you Thank for, having, you for us. having us. We're excited to be here. This is going to be interesting. Yes. It is going to be interesting. You know, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time now. Uh, and let's jump right in. You have uh, been able to raise a very special child named Ian Brock, uh, not only in academics, but in his entrepreneurship endeavors. Uh, in his ability to form relationships. So when you think back on that progress, what do you think was the real key ingredient into making him this special person that he is today? You want to start? Yes, I can. I think for us, it was the two of us being in, in agreement in terms of how we wanted to move forward with parenting. And that was way before Ian was even thought of. These were conversations that we had about how we grew up, uh, what we thought a family would look like, envisioning what our family could potentially look like, and then kind of setting that plan in motion. Now, mind you, just like any other plan, it goes off the rails almost every other day. But at least you have an idea or a North Star that you're reaching for. And I think that's kind of what started the process with Ian. And then he came along and just kind of fell into what we had already envisioned for our lives and what our family might look like. So I agree with Michael. We were both in agreement. Um, one added ingredient, though, is I have to say love, right? So I remember when Ian was in preschool and we were getting him ready to take a test and do some other things. And one of the things that the director told us was just, you know, all you really have to do is show love to your child, whatever shape that is. And so we, you know, we do things different, but we are always in agreement. And I think, Ian always felt loved by us, his family, his community. And I think that love really propelled him with his confidence. Because when kids feel secure, that's really love. That's, that, that's where it starts. So for me, Ian was always just, the word I think of is love. Right, there, there's right. no other word yeah. in the beginning. So how did you get him to buy in? into whatever the process was. You know, there are a lot of young people who just push back uh, on the process. Uh, they just say it, it doesn't agree to what I want to do or who I am. 
Uh, how did you get him to buy into the process? I'll let you go on this one. Okay. Um, I think we showed him, right? We showed him that we were not perfect. But at the side, it, it was really, I, it, I don't know how to start with that because he was very obedient. Now, mind you, Ian, he pushed back a lot. He exactly. did. Yeah. But I think there was a give and take with both of us. Mm -hmm. And that there's a trust that was yes. formed. We're parents and we really, I don't want to say protected him, but we made sure that his surroundings were very positive, right? And so we also had to be what we were talking about. So we couldn't tell him like when we were growing up, I, I think Michael will attest to this. It's one of those things where do as I say, not as I do. Right. Exactly. And we get it, you yeah. know, I mean, but. I didn't want to do that. I don't think we both wanted to do that. So we wanted to show him if we're asking you to do something, we're also doing it. Yeah. And I think and yeah, Ian pushed back every step of the way. Ian is very headstrong. Not my friend. Not yes, my he friend. Is. He's he a I, I, I don't is. believe he yeah. pushed no, back. No, you're a guy. But that's when you're around. When you're not around, it's this whole push and pull. But I think that like my wife said the respect level was there and uh, the fact that he saw us doing everything that we asked him to do and on some level he saw it so if we asked him to read books he saw us reading books if we told him at age eight that he had to incorporate a daily log in his life he saw both of us incorporating the daily log into our lives and everything that we did if we told him that he needed to exercise and do that whole thing, we took him to the gym with us. Uh, so he saw these things happening between us and then he didn't see any give. It was a team effort. Right. So he couldn't go to mom and get something that dad said no to. It was always, well, what did your dad say or what did your mom say? So there was no give in there. He understood that, OK, that's a united front over there. And in order for me to get past those two, I need to get both of them on my side. So it was that and understanding that Ian's going to have his own opinions about certain things. Now, here's the thing. Because of the work that we do and what we're involved in, we got a lot of pushback from older people in our families. <laughs> They're like, you let him talk to you. And he's involved in grown folks business. And uh, that kind of thing. And my mom specifically, oh, she's pulled me to the side so many times earlier on. But I think as she begins to see Ian do what he's doing, it makes sense to her now. But in the beginning, why is he in that conversation? Why are you asking his opinion about that? And so on and so forth. And it's like you're not understanding what we're trying to cultivate in him. We want him to be very comfortable being in rooms with adults and being able to openly speak his mind with confidence. And so there was also, you know, there was a balancing act with that as well, because we're trying to parent as well as allow him to have a voice. And so that balancing act has always been a thing that, you know, it's a day to day learning uh, experience that we have, because it's not like we grew up with that. I couldn't just go in the middle of an adult conversation as a kid. My wife, I know she yeah. couldn't. And so we were experimenting. This whole thing has been a grand experiment with Ian. Uh, we did everything, most things, differently than they were done with us when we were growing up. I know I did. It was told night and day. 
So, Mr. Brock, you know, yes, I've been sir. around you enough that, you know, you kind of got some old school ways about you. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Brock, we were just talking I, about them this morning. <laughs> if, if you're a tiger mom. So <laughs> what changes did you guys have to make? What, what reinvention did you have to make to sort of make this sort of successful? Uh, I, I, I've seen you, Mr. Brock, sort of turning your head and, you know, trying to control yourself. All right. <laughs> so talk about the, the changes that you had to make as parents. Changes. And the work that you did not change. You were just like, this is the boundary. I'm not giving on that. Okay. I think for me, I mean, my parents, we came to, well, first we went, we immigrated to Canada, Toronto, and then from Toronto, we moved to Chicago. And so I was dealing with two different lives, if you want to call it that, because at home, you know, we have certain values, principles. My parents were raising us a certain way. And then I step out of the house and it's the American life. Right. So my parents, God love them. I mean, everything that I'm doing for Ian or, you know, when I look at parenting, I look at my parents. It was a very difficult road because they're trying to make sure that not that we assimilate, but that we are okay in this American life, but still holding on to those Filipino values. And so that was difficult. But as I got older, I understood what my parents were really doing. They were protecting us, but at the same time, they were opening up our world. And so one thing about my parents, they they trusted us a lot. I have to say that yeah. even when we weren't doing the right thing, you know, trying to hustle here and there and, you know, um, totally do things that we knew that they wouldn't approve. But one thing they did is that they really they did allow us to be you know, in this different world that they weren't accustomed to, but we were reprimanded. You know, my mom, she was a tiger mom times a hundred, 100. So I valued that. And so for me, when I'm with Ian, I think about that, but then I also like, I, I have to step back because with Ian, with my mom, I, I had a great relationship, but I could have been closer with my mom, but it was also on me to listen to her. I'm the child, you know, she's the parent. And so with Ian, we tried to create, I think that relationship, yeah. we're still parents, but we've got to listen to our kids. And sometimes parents aren't listening to their kids. And it doesn't mean you say, talk, what do you have to say? It's really just day to day. What are they doing? What are they thinking? How are they feeling without even asking them? And we didn't have a manual, you know, not at all. But I think it was more trust and then also our faith. And that's something with Ian. Um, God has always been in his life from yes. day one. Yes. And so with Ian, that is so strong, you know, um, and we kept that very alive or it, to this day. And so his faith, it's unshakable. Yeah. But that took time. It didn't just happen. But he saw things where, wow okay, if I trust the process. So I think with us, it's trusting the process. Yes, We didn't always get it right. Um, and we're still learning. But for me, I, I really listened to Ian. I may not have liked what he was doing or saying, but I had to pay attention to my kid. 
Yeah. That was one of the things that I think parents would just automatically think, okay, we know better. And we do. Why? Because we have experience. But you got to listen to your kid right. because he may be telling, he or she may be telling you something that you need to pay attention to. Exactly. And it was, I think, because the story, you know, it's very difficult to start this story off with Ian. You have to go back into our history and bring it forward. And so, you know, it was that structure that she had and that light, because when I, I met my wife in high school, uh, she was the last uh, young lady that I, you know, dated before I went off to college. And it was for me, I was in so much darkness in my life at that time. It was her light that attracted me to her, as crazy as that may sound. She would be bouncing through the hallway. She was a cheerleader at the time. She would be bouncing through the hallway, speaking to everyone. The personality that you know and see with her right now has been that way the entire time. But back then it was on steroids. And so it was totally different. It was so free. And for me to see that, that's what caught my attention. Again, because I was experiencing so much darkness in my life. Uh, Ian, <laughs> Ian's got these uh, grandfathers, both of them brilliant in math, but two totally different individuals. Her dad is, you know, an electrical engineer who builds schematics for nuclear power plants. My father was, for lack of a better term, ended up being a dope dealer and a heroin addict. Uh, and so that's the life that I come from growing up in the uh, Cook County Housing Authority, uh, dealing with my father with those issues and the turmoil that that caused in my life. Uh, I grew up around drug dealers, uh, street hustlers and uh, the like. And so that running in and out of my house is what I remember seeing. Now, my mom was the stability in the house, but my father was definitely the turmoil in my house. And so my mom did everything that she could to protect us from that. But there's no protecting the kids from certain things when it's right there in the household. And so, you know, from my earliest days going to visit my father in the penitentiary, because I was a part of it, going in and out of that. And so as I thought about, I always knew I wanted to have a family. But as I thought about raising kids and having kids, I, that was just something that I knew would happen. But as a child or as a young adult, you start thinking, how do you want to raise those kids? And I'm a firm believer that people teach you one of two things. They either teach you what to do or what not to do. And if you keep it on track with that, you can learn a lot from just about anyone. And so while my father had these demons that he was battling, he was a good guy. Uh, I know he wanted a lot of good things for his family. And he, I have to be honest in saying that it was actually my father that really taught me how to dream about a life that was bigger than the life that we were living. Cause he had these dreams about doing these amazing things, but that monkey on his back just would not let him go. And, and he battled that until the day he died um, while I was working on my master's degree in college. And so for me, uh, getting away from home, uh, going to college, having that opportunity, that was me running away from home. That wasn't me going to this better life. I was actually fleeing my household. And my mom was my my, my accomplice in that. So, so 
people listening to this podcast, a lot of them live in big cities. It's like, how did they get together? Right, right, right. right. Big cities that are crime ridden. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And most people think that parents, you lost your kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, I interviewed uh, Larry Miller, Mm -hmm. chairman of Brand Jordan. Right. And as you know from his book, he killed a young man when he yeah. was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And but when I talked to him, he said he was a good student. He yeah. came from a good family. Mm-hmm. So I said, so what happened? And mm. he said, the streets won. Mm. My family lost. Right. Mm-hmm. How have you been able to make sure that the streets don't win? Because there's this constant conflict between what happens inside the home and what happens in the streets and with peer groups. Mm -hmm. So for the people who are listening to this podcast, who are struggling to hold on to their children, what advice would you have for them so that they can win versus the streets? You have to take that one. I I think it, it starts off with again, having a vision or a goal for what you want for your family and your children, even if you're not able to provide that, you got to have a vision moving forward. You have to be able to say, I want to have, or I want my kid to experience, even if you can't provide those things. I think for me, that was the first step. Second step was finding someone that was in lockstep with that idea and how to go about doing it. Now, mind you, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And the way that she was raised and the way that I was raised were two totally different things. But what we did agree on was how we wanted our family to be, regardless of what everyone else said. So I was blessed enough to find someone uh, that agreed with me on that. But when Ian came into the picture, the idea was it's not just going to be us. It's going to be a village. okay? and so we have to curate that village. Okay, my there are family members that Ian doesn't get to just go around freely like that. So we curated all the way down to the family members and therefore, well, we haven't seen Ian. And well, yeah, I know. But, you know, there are some ideas and some things that are going on that I don't necessarily want him to be a part of. And now this is not knocking the way individuals live or the way that they do their thing. But if it's not in line with what we're attempting to teach to our son, then he needs not be influenced by that until he's old enough to make decisions for himself. Now, if he, you know, Ian turns 18, 19, 20, he wants to go, you know, we've given him everything that we can or we think to give him. Uh, We've ensured that he has a relationship with God. We've gone through that uh, in terms of taking them to church, teaching them how to pray, making sure that that's a part of his daily life. Uh, Before our team meetings, we pray. So we keep God at the center of that. But curating that village, I think, is very important. And then and then we found other families who had kids who were kind of thinking the same way. And so the kids were kind of moving together you know, uh, sharing information about programs and things of that nature. But it wasn't just us. It was definitely the village. And then other people started to come along. But I think in addition to that, there was a routine. Yes. Routine is critical. We learned that when he was in preschool, Mm -hmm. they had a routine, you know, so if we wanted to jump in, go visit, we couldn't interrupt his routine. And so one thing that Michael was really great at was making sure that 
there was structure. I mean, I'm structured, but I'm structured in a really unique way. My structure is very different from Michael's, but with Ian, he had a daily routine and then he had to write out the routine. So I think when he took ownership of that, Ian realized like, wow, if I get to, if I work hard, I get to play hard, Yes. but there was always a routine every day. So nonstop. tell me what does, this, this is a bad question. What does discipline look like in your household? It's evolved. Because he's older now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it has evolved that, over time. Michael, what does that mean? <laughs> it, it evolved over time. Uh, let's see. Uh, can I keep it way real here? Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm right. share a story. Okay. So yeah. in the early days, there was spots of corporal punishment there were in the beginning because it was how I was raised. We believe in that, we Mr. Be- Carr. I mean, that. we do. We did. We, do. we believed that. But it over time, it evolved. Uh, then <laughs> one time Ian got in trouble with his mom. I was I was working late uh, and I got in and this poor kid was just crying, bawling when I got home. He had done something and he re- I mean, it was multiple things with her and the push up situation came into play. So when Ian got in trouble, he had to do a bunch of push ups back in the day. Knuckle, knuckle push ups and whatnot. Yeah. And see, the first time I had seen that was when I was a kid. My younger brother was in the martial arts and as punishment in the martial arts school, they would have to do these knuckle push ups like they'd have to do 100 push ups on their knuckles and they'd be crying and so on. And when I came home, he is just bawling. I'm like, what is going on? I go in there and he is down doing these push ups, struggling to do these push ups. And I just shut the door and left because I knew I could see by the look on her face. It was serious. So I just walked out and let it go. But then that became a part of it. So, okay, we're not going to continue with the corporal punishment situation, but the push ups, that's effective. It benefits him. He not only gets stronger, but that pain he remembers. So and I start. I didn't want to get hurt in the process because I'm like, why am I suffering when you're the one that did what you did? So the knuckle pushups, there was a there was a night when Michael was sleeping and Ian was either watching YouTube, playing a game. And I had told him to go to sleep and it was way past his bedtime. He was in third grade. And I was furious because he disobeyed us, disobeyed me. Michael was knocked out. He didn't even know what was going on. Are you sure you're going to tell this story? Yes, I am. And so I made him do 500 knuckle push-ups. Oh, I wasn't playing, Mr. Carr. Mm -mm. How old was he? He was in third grade. Do you hear that? He was. Yeah, because I said, here's the thing. I've told you, go to sleep. I told you, put that away. He's not listening, not listening. It wasn't the first time. So I just had it. And so he thought I was playing with him. And he, after a hundred, we went to 200, we went to 300. I don't know if I did go to 500, but we were very close. And the boy was in tears. I didn't care. And this was on hardwood floors too. And see, I was so, a grown man and I couldn't do five. But he, I mean, he did great. I mean, he, he really, yeah. even when he cried, he stopped, but he got back because he knew I was going to prolong it as long as I needed him to. Is there a statute of limitation on this? She can't <laughs> go to, she can't. <laughs> well, well, we, we, we're going to flip to this question to, 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 to balance it out. Right. What does love, what does love look like? Ooh. Ooh. Now, that's, now, that's, now, see, when I was growing up, 
my mama would have said, the love looked like the 500 push-ups. That's because <laughs> I love you. But that is love, though. That that's, is. That is, that is part of it's it. It's tough love, it's, but that's a is, part of it. it is. Love has two faces, many faces. Yeah. That's just one of them. But, you know, here's the thing. You, you have to be okay with disciplining your child. Whatever, you know, way you decide as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we turned it because he did take Kung Fu. Not only was he doing knuckle push-ups, he did what's called Chinese chair, where you have to stand against the wall for like a minute or two, hold your hand. I mean, there's different ways without us even having to touch him. But Ian knew love. I mean, he saw it in us. And there was not, and love doesn't mean saying yes. Yes. I I think people get that confused. Love isn't about saying yes to your child. And it doesn't mean giving them everything Mm -hmm. that you didn't have. I think a lot of my friends that I went to college with, they made that mistake. It was, okay. I'm going to give my kid everything that I didn't have. And then the kid turned 18, 19. It's like, wow, what did I do? And, you know, we didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but that's okay. Uh, You know, I mean, because ownership that's a big thing in our household so ian you know little things he has to learn that there is work behind everything he does i mean he saw it when michael and i were working for companies and then also in what we're doing with our business and other businesses so i think working hard that that's critical and it started with school really He went to a public school. It became number one. How that happened, we don't know. Um, but we started at the school that was repurposed in the um, which, Cabrini, Cabrini Green. Green. They repurposed the school and he got in. It was a classical school here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we took a chance. It you know There were, what, three housing projects around the school. But we knew the school could really you know blossom into something if we participated as parents. Um, but in school, he knew what hard work was because he saw if I do, if I work really hard, I'm going to get an A. If I don't work hard, I may get a B or C. And so I think it starts there as a foundation. And then, you know, we expanded that. But I, kids have to know what working hard means and that there are rewards when you do, you know, flourish. And I think he also saw to to go back to the question about love. I think he saw it between his mom and I through the good and the bad. We didn't hide anything from him like he saw us fight. We're human beings. I have I fought with brothers, mothers, cousins and now my wife from time to time. It happens. But he also saw us make up. And he also saw us, okay, they might be fighting today, but tomorrow it's not this thing that's lingering. They're back to normal. And then we had conversations about that. And as he's become a teenager and now he's 18, I've had numerous conversations with him about it. It's like, that's part of relationships. That's Mm -hmm. part of being married to someone. It's going to be difficult. I don't know anybody that's been with someone 18 plus years and they haven't had a fight. Okay. They haven't Things haven't gone sideways in some way, the ebbs and flows of the natural relationships. And so he's seen, he's witnessed all of that and he's witnessed us come together. But I think for me, one of the things that brought us closer was I had started a ground transport business (laughs) and the business went uh, sideways after a couple of years and I had to basically let it go. At that time, I was trying to figure out the next move, but 
you know, Ian is what, second, third grade, somewhere in there. And I started walking him to school every day. Now, mind you, prior to that, I was either working the job, working the business. I never had time for that. But that period of God works in mysterious Mm -hmm. ways. By taking that away, I had more space to add and spend time with Ian. So it was walking into school. It was becoming the bus monitor at the school, coaching the basketball team. I had all this time at that point while I was trying to figure out the next move to spend and be in his life. And the conversations that we had when we would walk, because the walk wasn't short. You walked eight miles a week. A week. It was eight miles a week to and from school with him. So it wasn't a short walk. So we had plenty of time to, to talk and connect. And that was special. And I think that was kind of the foundation for me with him that allowed us to move into what we're doing right now, because we still share those conversations. He still comes and says, Dad, let me talk to you about something. And it's totally unrelated to Dream Hustle Code or any of the work that we're doing is I just need your opinion. Now, there are other things that he keeps from us as well, you know. Uh, 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 our <laughs> but recent, look, we all know. have done it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, but that was the foundation, I think, for my relationship with him yeah. that point in time, because if that business had kept going, I never would have had mm-hmm. the time that I had to spend with him. I would have been too involved in the business. And so, Again, I say God works in mysterious ways. I needed that time. And it took her to point it out to me. I, it was, did, I didn't yeah, even see it. Because, you know, I so I was working at a private equity firm at that time. And I know he was really struggling. But and, and I was I have to be honest, I was jealous. I was jealous because he was spending time with our kid. And I, you know, I had to go to work, do my nine to five. But what was beautiful, you know, when I stepped back was, Wow, this is a moment for him, for Michael, to be with his son and play this. I don't know what it's going to turn out to be, but you don't get that. And so there was beauty in that blessing. And I had to just kind of, you know, reframe it for Michael to say, look, don't look at it as you were losing. You are spending this incredible time with your son. I wish I got to, but it's, you know, there's something about a father and a son, just like a mother and a daughter Mm -hmm. that I can do so much for him but I am not of that gender. And I acknowledge that. So I'm not going to feel things the way I feel things with our daughter, you know? So with Michael and Ian, I have to, I had to step back many times just to say, he's the man. And there's some things that I cannot teach him as a woman. There's no way. And here's the funny thing about that. And again, I keep calling God's name because man, this is just amazing because my father and I did not have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. My father did not have that opportunity with his father. So for all the things that I blame my father for, after that period of time with Ian, I had to think back to my father and 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 give him some grace because he couldn't teach me what he never saw. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult for him to teach me those things. I kind of fell into this thing with Ian in terms of having that time and that opportunity. And uh so as you know, as I'm looking back even now, and I, my father's deceased now, and I think about it, and I wish I could just have an hour to just talk to him about so many different things, you know, because I have my own son now. And just say thank you for the experiences that we did have, because my father tried, he really tried. But, uh, you know, 
you're mature, you're angry, you're wishing you had this, that, and the other, and those things aren't there. And, and you're looking to blame someone through your maturity. And that's exactly what that was. And looking back on my father's life, it's like his, he never had that opportunity with his dad. And I know he wanted it, but he never had it. And so, you know, God opened the door for me to have that relationship with Ian, and I am supremely grateful for it. Well, it, it has been amazing. And, and the return on investment shows, uh, obviously, every single day. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation, but it has taught me something. Mm. That this is only episode one oh. <laughs> so i want to thank you guys uh, i appreciate it um you know we want to thank you for dream hustle cold uh, mm. and thank you for all the work that you're doing there and all the support that you're showing your son you guys are a real example of what parenting looks like in the 21st century <laughs> and what parenting looks like within culture so we thank you so much for that. But seriously, this is only episode one. So thank you so much for joining us at the Waymaker Fireside Chat. And thank, thank you, you for having, having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Michael and Dulcevita Brock. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. Don't forget to claim your Waymaker Journal at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode. 